be careful what you pray over your kids because God may be listening to your prayers. Now, I pray this over my kids all the time. God, use them for your kingdom. I know the price I have to pay. I know the price they'll have to pay. Leonard Leonard Ravenhill's mom prayed this the hour he was born, okay? Leonard Ravenhill, great preacher. Go look him up. This is what his mother prayed the hour he was born. She said this, Lord, let him be a preacher or don't let him live. And to this day, he's considered one of the greatest preachers in history. This is one hour. She, he's one hour old. And she says, God, let him be a preacher or don't let him live. That's a bold prayer to pray. And he would go on to become one of the greatest preachers. I've, I've actually spent time with both of his sons that are both incredibly, incredible preachers to this day. And he's an absolute legend in the Christian world. And this is what he said in the book I read of, of him is that his mom prayed the first hour he was born. Let him be a preacher or don't let him live. I, I ask this of God. God, let my children be a voice in this generation. Let them burn with the fire of God. Let them lead something to reach millions for your kingdom. Let my children advance your kingdom in the earth at whatever the cost. And, th- and their life might be the cost. Their life might be the price they pay. My life might be the price I pay for the gospel. Are we willing to live that level of Christianity? Are we willing to get that serious with the gospel? And to say, God, I, I, don't, I don't care. Now, I've said this before. I get a lot of pushback and flack when I say this. And people get all mad and start manifesting. It's okay. You don't have to agree with this or believe this. This is what I believe for my kids and my family. I could honestly care less. Okay, again, this is for me and my family. You don't have to agree. I can care less if my kids ever graduate college and if they're ever successful in the eyes of man, as long as they do what God has called them to do. As long as they fulfill the calling that God has called them to fulfill, I can care less if they ever make $80,000 a year. I can care less if they're ever successful in the eyes of man. And I've, I've already made this commitment. My parents, something they told me, I will support my kids financially and I'm setting up, you know, as much as I can and much as I could do to set myself up so that when my kids are older, I could support them financially so that they could do the ministry God has called them to do. So if my kids say they come out of high school and say, I don't want to go to college. I want to go to the mission field. That will be the greatest answer to all my prayers. That will be the dream. And I will support them financially. I will do whatever I have to do to make sure that my kids, but American Christianity is well, you got to do this, get a call to college, get a degree, get a career, make a good amount of money, have a good family. And then like, after all of that, just sprinkle, sprinkle a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Jesus on the top on Sunday morning and just live like everybody else. Don't evangelize, don't preach, don't live supernatural and sprinkle. What a miserable life when you stand before God on judgment day, when God says you didn't do anything for my kingdom, but go to church on Sunday, the devil go, went to church on Sunday. I don't just want to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on my life to flavor it up. I want to live the life that God has called me to live. I don't want career. I want calling. Now your calling might be to be a doctor, to be a police officer, to own a business, to be an entrepreneur, to be a firefighter, to be, uh, you know, own a landscaping business, whatever you're doing, that might be your career, but your calling is to make disciples wherever you go. So don't stop at that. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to make disciples. So we have to retrain how we live our lives. We have to think different in culture today and not have the same desires and have these radical prayers saying, God, I want you to do this. Now, Herod's trying to harass and stop the move of God. Here's why. 
to gain favor with religious people. Now, there's multiple generations of Herods, but this one, this Herod was specifically part Jewish. So he had seen that it made their religious people happy when he persecuted the disciples. And so he's going to now arrest Peter because Peter is one of the main leaders of revival. And his main goal for trying to stop the move of God was stopping the move of God. Are you guys with me? Makes religious people happy. And that right there is why pastors stop the move of God in their church. Because it keeps the religious people that tithe happy. It keeps the givers, the ones in the church that own yogurt shops but don't have prayer lives. We let them be on our board and run our churches because we got to keep the religious people happy. Because the religious people, they tithe more than anybody else. The religious people, you know, the, we, we want to make sure they stay happy so we're not going to let anybody speak in tongues. We're not going to let deliverance break out. We're not going to let miracles break out because we don't want to ruffle the feathers of the religious people that have been in the church for so long. So this was his main goal. And this is what pastors do. They quench the fire of God to make people who are stale and comfortable, happy and content. Should I say that again for those of you that thought I didn't say that? Pastors quench the fire instead of stoking it to make the people who are stale, dry, and dead, comfortable, happy, and content. So now we say, well, we don't really care that the Holy Spirit's not happy as long as the religious tithers are happy and they keep paying our light bills and pay our building projects and pay our church staff that watches YouTube all day. So this is why we're not praying for the sick in the church. This is why we're not casting out devils in the church. This is why I could gladly say at our church, every single altar call, there's a prayer team. And if you need deliverance, if you need healing and every single service, and we do four every Sunday, we baptize people in the middle of worship every single service. Why? Because we're not going to cater to comfort. We're going to make it a place where if you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need baptism, if you need a small group, if you need marriage counseling, if you need breakthrough, then we're offering it as much as we can, making it available to you because we're not catering to the ones doing nothing for God. Why are we catering to people in the church that are doing nothing for God and making the whole church about them while the remnant starves and dies silently in the back longing for a day where God can move freely. Oh, I feel that in the Holy Ghost. The remnant dies in the back, longing for God to move, praying for God to move, while we babysit and we cater to the lukewarm and to the carnal in the churches to make the religious people happy. What are they going to think if we go too long? What are they going to think if we do deliverance? What are they going to think if we pray and speak in tongues? We don't want to scare the new people. I'll tell you what they're going to think. They're going to think that God is real. They're going to think that our God is alive and not just a figment of our imagination. They're going to think our God is experiential and not just theological and not just intellectual. But Paul said, I didn't come with intellect so that your faith would not be in me, but it would be in the power of God. Guys, we got to get back to the book of Acts. Stop with this powerless, watered-down intellectual gospel. Like we're so full of knowledge, knowledge, teaching, 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 with no demonstration. And God says, it's time to get back. Y'all are firing me up tonight. It's time to get back to demonstration. You know, people say, oh, you're too crazy, you're too radical. You don't have to do all that. It doesn't take all that. Friend, I would rather be po- biblical than popular. Okay, so just whenever you're tired of 
Isaiah, you don't have to yell like that. You don't have to shout like that. You don't have to talk so fast. You can settle down. You don't, I don't understand why it takes a lot. I don't know why you are that way. The same way you don't know why I am the way I am, I don't know why you are the way you are. You might look at me and say, why are you up there shouting? And I'm looking down going, why are you down there dying? So I'm as, as confused you are about my veins popping out of my neck and my shout and my praise and my hunger for God and my passion for the word, as confused as you are by it, thinking this guy's crazy. He's lost his mind. You're absolutely right. I lost my mind 11 years ago. I was an atheist and I lost my mind and I got the mind of Christ. I've been renewed. I've been redeemed. And guess what news flash? You didn't save me. You didn't redeem me. You didn't deliver me. So you're not going to stop me because the same way you scratch your head confused by me, I'm just as much confused by you. The way you're confused by me reading the Bible and literally thinking we can heal the sick, cast out devils, I'm more confused by you reading the Bible and not believing we could cast out demons and heal the sick. So trust me, you might say I'm very confused on Isaiah's doctrine, but I'm much more confused by your powerless, weak doctrine that God never moves. What? He did Hold on. Y'all got me on one tonight. So you're telling me from Genesis... To Revelation, God moved in every chapter and in every verse. And then all of a sudden, we got to today and God decided to stop moving. And now we could only learn from God from the Bible. And now the God of the church is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we worship the Bible instead of the author of the Bible. Worshiping the Bible is idolatry. We don't worship the Bible. There's no scripture that says bow down before the book. There's no scripture that says pray to the book and worship the book. We worship the author of the scripture who is alive. And I'm talking slow because the religious people can't understand me when I talk fast. The God who is alive and alive evermore that is seated right now at the right hand of the Father and says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So friend, I'm sorry to tell you, but your doctrine's way more confusing than me, than mine. Your doctrine's way more confusing. That says God doesn't move, that God doesn't heal, that God doesn't save, that God doesn't deliver, that God can't do this. That word God can't should never come out of anybody's mouth. How how are you going to tell God what he can and can't do? God, what do you mean God can't heal today? What do you mean God can't cast devils? What do you mean Christians can't have demons? What do you mean God can't deliver a Christian? So you're God now and God is incapable of delivering somebody that's already been saved. God is incapable of forgiving somebody that's already been saved. Oh, sorry. They, God can't use them. Oh, sorry. Didn't know. Didn't know somebody died and made you God. I, I don't know who we think we are with our arrogance thinking that our doctrine is absolute. Let me just give you this last thing. And we're going to move on here and I'm not going to apologize for taking too long anymore. Not one person has it all right. Not one person, not one person in history besides Jesus Christ has ever had every single thing right with their doctrine, with their theology, with what they believe. But guess what? I know somebody that does have it all right. I know somebody by the spirit of God who knows it all and speaks through broken vessels that make mistakes, that are working through, that are learning and studying. God is not this plastic, synthetic religious God that says, Oh, it has to be this, 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 this. That's called rules and regulations. And it's not new covenant. 
The new covenant is those that are led by the spirit don't have to live under a law because the spirit governs them. All right, let's keep going because I'm, I'm so fired up tonight. So just stop, stop with your dead God that you preach about acts 12, three through four. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, including to bring him before the people of Passover. So Herod persecuted them during Passover, time of celebration, when God had remembered how he delivered them and everyone was excited about God. And this is when he locks them up and he's imprisoning and puts Peter in prison. Peter is guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now you might say, isn't this a bit overkill? One man with 16 guards to watch him. But it's not overkill because the devil knows what this man can do. Herod knows this guy heals the sick, casts out demons, raises the dead. Like the dude raises the dead. He has the supernatural power of God. So the greater the potential of the man, the greater the assignment of the enemy. I'm telling you right now, some of you who have had literally an uncountable, uncountable amount of attacks after attacks, Take it as a compliment, Peter. Take it as a compliment that you have 16 guards because the devil knows your potential and he increases his attack when he sees that potential. So you ought to just thank God when the devil comes at you in every direction because he sees your potential. And and Herod also knows God has delivered the disciples before and what God has done for one and one time, how many know he'll do it again. So Herod knows like this guy, God could get people out of jail. And if he's done it once, he'll do it again. And that's a prophetic word for some of you. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you're going through tonight. If God has delivered you before, will he not show up and deliver you again? Come on, somebody in the chat, help me tonight. Don't leave me hanging here. If God has set you free before, will he not set you free again? Acts 12, 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison. Okay. But constant prayer was offered up to God for him by the church. Here's the church's response while Peter's in prison. They didn't say, oh, Peter must be in sin. Peter must be wrong. You know, just let Peter go off. You know, we love, it was good while it lasted, Peter. Thanks for delivering us, saving us, raising us from the dead. But you know, now that you're in prison, we're going to leave you and do our own thing. Here's the response. Fervent prayer. That's how you get people out of prison. That's how you get people delivered. Literally fervent prayer. We're not throwing a picnic. We're not doing a fundraiser. We're not having a carnival. We're not doing trunk or treat business as usual. It's time for prayer. The devil's been attacking. The devil's attacking the church right now. We're under seas. We're under fire. The battering rams of hell are at our gates. The devil's been dragging people away. The only solution is prayer because we know prayer shakes the foundations of hell. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer opens up the supernatural realm. Prayer gives angels the ability, the authority, the permission to fight on our behalf. The problem is the only thing that can change people is prayer. And it's the one thing we hardly ever do. The American church has left the altar of prayer. People don't pray anymore. People don't cry out anymore. When was the last time you you were called, you called a prayer meeting and said, we're going to go after those that are in bondage and we're going to break those people out that used to be with us that are no longer with us. How often do we pray for our friends and family that sit in prison cells? I have family right now that are sitting in prison cells. You say, well, what jail are they at? No, I'm taking spiritual prison cells. I'm talking spiritual jails and how much time are we spending praying for them and going after them in the spirit? It's time for the church to rise up. It's time for the church to pray. You're listening to me tonight because somebody prayed for you. You might think you're here on accident, but you're here because somebody prayed for you. Acts 12, um, verses 6. 
And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. There's no way this dude's getting out. That's the bottom line outside of divine intervention. Verse seven. Now behold, an angel of the Lord. Here's another angel showing up, stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and he and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, go, go. Gird yourself, gird yourself, because Peter's unclothed, and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to them, said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and he did not know what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. It was too good to be true. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard posts, and they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened of them of its own accord. Oh, that's cool. Automatic doors. And they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 11, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So this is the night before his execution. They're going to kill him. God shows up. How many of you will know God is a God of perfect timing? Now notice what happened. The angel of the Bible says struck Peter to wake him up. Okay. He had fallen asleep in bondage like some of you tonight. And the angel says, I'm not going to do this nicely. I'm not going to do this quietly. I'm going to smack you to wake you up. And this is what my message has been. I am, I believe, an alarm clock to the body of Christ. Alarm clocks are not made to be nice. They're not made to be comfortable. They're not made to wake up. They don't whisper. They don't sing. They're not made for entertainment. Alarm clocks aren't for telling jokes. Alarm clocks are loud. Come on. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Luckily, you guys are on, I'm on live stream, so you could turn me down. We're not in a building where you can't avoid my loudness. They're loud, they're repetitive, and they, same thing, over and over and over again. Now, some of you, why do you always tell me the same thing over and over again? Because God has called me to be an alarm clock. Because my, the purpose of the alarm clock is not to be your friend or to make you entertain or for you to like it. The alarm clock is to wake you up. And although it's frustrating, it wakes you up and does its job. And so what happens? You keep turning that alarm clock on. Why? Because you keep falling back to sleep. And that alarm, boom, keeps waking you up. That's why for me, I got to have convicting preaching. I can't be listening to these preachers out here that tell me how awesome I am. My pride will do that for me. My flesh will do that for me. I need some preachers out here that will say, nope, Isaiah, you haven't been praying enough. You haven't been getting up right. You haven't been living right. You haven't been, I'm calling you up. You gotta get, you gotta get serious about God. There's some laziness. There's some areas. We gotta wash you up with the word of God. We gotta call you up to the next level. I'm not gonna be listening to preachers that are gonna tell me, oh, Jesus loves you. You're so awesome, brother. Like, I don't need that. I don't need a cheerleader. I need an army general that's gonna say, give me 30 more soldier because I'm preparing you for the battle that's out there. Now the angel hits him and one touch, One touch, the chains fall off of his wrist. Now this I could relate to because this is what happened with me. One touch from God and every chain broke off of me. Lust, addiction, alcohol addiction, cursing every other word, everything you can think of, bitterness, anger, resentment, racism towards my own race. I mean, I was so twisted like a pretzel. I I didn't know left from right. And in one encounter, and this is why I could keep preaching the power of God and I refuse to preach a powerless gospel because I am a testimony to one touch from the, from the spirit of God that every chain could come off of you. I'm telling you tonight, one touch from God tonight and every chain could come off of you. Every guard around him didn't matter. Didn't matter. Doesn't matter 
how impossible your situation is, God will bring you out. He follows out the angel, thinking the entire thing was too good to be true, like it was a vision. I've I've said this before, for those of you that heard, heard me say this, 11 years later, I don't know that there is a week that goes by. I'm telling you this. I've told my wife this before. I've said this a bunch of times in my live streams. I, guys, not a week goes by where I don't have this thought. Am I dreaming? I really feel this, guys. I feel like my life is too good and unreal to be true in God that I'm that at any moment I'm going to wake up from a dream and I'm going to be still that broken 19-year-old atheist 11 years ago because this life, come on, does anybody know what I'm saying? This life that God brings us into and blesses us with It's this supernatural life that's so good to be true when God rescues us and brings us out of that prison that I I feel like I'm dreaming. I look at my wife and kids and the ministry and what God has done and all the people that God has reached through our ministry and all of you guys. And I I, I hang out with you guys in the chat and read your testimonies. And I'm just, I can't process it, guys. I really can't. I'm in awe of what God himself is doing. And I feel like Peter where he said, this is a vision. Like the Bible says Peter didn't think it was real. And sometimes I'm going like, do you realize what's happening in your life right now? Just let's just stop right here. Okay. And just think about this. I don't want to miss this moment. Do you realize what God is doing in your life? Maybe in these broadcasts, maybe at your church, maybe in your marriage. Do you realize the power that you have in God to deliver those, to heal those that are sick? I know it's hard. I know it's tiring, but I want you to just realize what's happening right now in your life that you are sober after they said you'd never be sober. Your marriage is restored after they said your marriage is never going to work out. You have two children when the doctor said you'll never have kids. You are living the life that you spent years praying for. I want you guys to think about that right now. Just take a moment and give them a hallelujah and a thank you. You're living right now in the answer to prayers that you prayed 10 years ago. 15 years. You should have been dead. You should have been dead. The doctor said you should have been dead. The CHP said you should have been dead. The sheriff's department said you should have been dead when you when you rolled over on that freeway and you were under that car that was on fire and somehow somebody pulled you out and you don't know who it was or how it happened. When you wanted to take your own life and the next day the one that gave life gave you life. When God broke that drug addiction off you and the doc and the doctor said if you keep going down this road your liver is failing. You have lung disease and heart disease and blood disease and you have infections in your lungs and in your blood and every part of you has been ravaged by sickness and all of a sudden one day you came down to an altar and the almighty creator of the universe, power, same spirit that raised Christ, came upon you and brought healing to your body. When those voices told you to take your life over and over and over and you lived with crippling addiction, depression, anxiety... And you met up with somebody that said, I could cast demons out of you. And those demons scream out of you. And now there's a joy about you. Your family doesn't even recognize you because you're so full of life. Just, just stop and think about your testimony and what God is doing right now in your life. Forget about all the negative. Forget about, oh, could we all complain? We all got something to complain about. We all could complain about something. But let's just think about the goodness of God. It's, it's, it is too good to be true. He's, he's too good to not believe too good to not believe. It's like that song. I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen blind eyes open. He's too good to not believe I've, I've seen him do it. So I'm sorry to tell you, but you can't preach me out of it. You can't talk me out of it. How does he go for so long preaching this? Cause I believe this because I, I live this guys. I live this. I walk this out. I I've watched tumor shrink in my hand. 
I've watched blind eyes open. That, that's why I will never go and debate, could God heal the day? It's the, it's the dumbest argument. It's the most foolish thing to say. I don't need to debate you. You believe, I know. I, I've seen tumors disappear. I've seen blind eyes open. I've watched the lame walk. I've watched the deaf hear for the first time. And people in my own family, I've watched those that are crippled. I've watched those that are broken. I've watched those that have doctor's reports that say, we don't know if you'll make it through the night that are alive 10 years later. I've seen the goodness of God with my own eyes. So there's there's no debating with me. You're not going to change my mind. You're not going to convince me that God can't deliver. He's been too good to not believe after all that I've seen. Guys, you're, you can't go back. Hear me tonight, because tonight I feel very prophetic. You can't go back. You've already been delivered. He's, he's too good to not believe. Now, Peter snaps out of this and says, it's true. It's true. The Lord sent his angels to save me from what Herod planned to do to me. Isn't that our life message? Isn't that all of us tonight? The Lord sent his angels to save me from what the devil had planned for me. Imagine if the devil got his way in my life. And he almost did when I first got saved. Those choices I had to make to turn from my old life. Imagine if I went back, what I'd be living right now. I, I Honestly, I'd probably be dead. To be honest with you, I'd probably be dead if God didn't save me. And God, in the words of Peter, saved me from what Herod planned to do to me. God has come tonight to save you from what the devil planned to do to you. Well, how do you know the devil's plan? I know the devil's plan is to still kill and destroy. The devil wants to destroy everything in your life. And God says, I've come to bring life and give you life more abundantly. 